0: Lord God, we come to you in this time. We give you thanks. We give you praise that you speak to us through your word. We are thankful as we go through this story that we may have a sense of your story, your grand scheme, how you are involved in this story every step of the way, and how you have called us to be a part of that story, Lord. We pray that we could learn all the more this morning uh, what you have to speak to us through Esther and through the story, Lord. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. When you put yourself in the hands of God, you will see God do great and wonderful things in and through your life. Let me say that again. When you put yourself in God's hands, you will see God do great things in and through your life. I want to challenge us this morning to reorient our thinking about what it means to do great things. A lot of times we think, oh, if our church is going to do great things, we have to grow from a hundred to a thousand. To do great things, you have to have riches. To do great things, you have to be a CEO or you have to be in a power position. The problem with that kind of thinking is that it's worldly in nature, right? Big position, lots of money, big church. When we think in this way, we are misunderstanding the truth. God wants us to do great things, and we can do great things for God when we put ourselves in the hands of God. God calls us to be faithful servants, his faithful and loving children. And if we do this, we will see God do wonderful and magnificent things in our life and through our life. This morning, as we look at chapter 20, we're going to talk about Esther, and we're going to see how God used this simple woman to do great things for her people and for God's glory. Now, hopefully you read the chapter, but even if you did, and or if you didn't, I want to just give a summary of this story, because it is a magnificent story, and I think once we have this good summary together, then I'm going to make a couple of important points that I think God wants to speak to us as his people. And so the story goes like this. Esther was from a tribe of Benjamin. She was a Jew. And if you remember last week, we talked about how after um, the Israelites had been taken into captivity to Babylon, after that time, Persia conquered Babylon. King Cyrus came, they conquered Babylon, and King Cyrus allowed the people to go back to Jerusalem to rebuild the kingdom. But some of the Jews were taken into Persia. Esther and her family were some of those who were taken into Persia. Now, Esther is her Persian name. Her Jewish name was actually Hadassah, and that's going to be important as we get a little bit farther into the story. And so you have this situation where Mordecai has taken Esther, he has cared for her, and then ultimately he has adopted her to become her daughter. And so Mordecai cares for her very deeply. Well, one day the the king gets very angry at his queen, Queen Vashti. And he says, you're not my queen anymore, I want a new queen. And so he puts out this edict, he puts out this command that all the young virgins are to be brought to the palace... So that he can choose a new queen. And so they are prepared for 12 months. Prepared and tested and made ready for the king. And Esther is among this group of women. And it is believed at the time that Esther was about 14 years old. So you can only imagine what Esther was dealing with. Taken from her family, brought into the palace, prepared to what? Maybe be the queen of a king? Right? Right? What an ordeal Esther was going through. And we read in 2.17, we read it again, Doug read it for before, but the underlying part, read with me. The king loved Esther more than all the women, and she won grace and favor in his sight, more than all the virgins, so that he set the royal crown on her head and made her queen. Instead of Ashti. So now Esther finds herself to be the queen, the queen of a, a great and powerful land. We see that Esther exhibited qualities of humility and strength which will do her well as she goes through the ordeal that is coming upon her. Now, Haman is a noble in the king's court and he's respected by all of the other people because of his position and his good standing with the king. But he doesn't like Esther, right? She's an outsider. And she doesn't, he doesn't like her cousin Mordecai. And Mordecai doesn't respect Haman. And so you have this, this adversarial relationship going on. And because of this, Haman, who is very prideful and wants to seek power, gets very angry at Mordecai. And so he decides that he wants to get back at Mordecai by destroying all of the Jews in the land. But he knows that he needs the king's blessing to do this. And so we read about this in chapter 3. Then Haman said to King Heseris, there is a certain people scattered abroad and dispersed among the peoples and all the provinces of your kingdom. Their laws are different from those of every other people. And they do not keep the king's laws. You know, you know when you want to get your way, right, you kind, of, you kind of skew it so that it sounds bad, right? It sounds really bad. You can skew it for the king so that he looks at this and says, oh, that's a terrible thing, right? They don't keep your laws, king, right? Right? so that it is not the king's profit to tolerate them. If it please the king, let it be decreed that they be destroyed. He's setting it up, right? And I will pay 10,000 talents of silver into the hands of those who have charge of the king's business, that they may put it into the king's treasury. So he lays this before the king. He sets it all up. He makes it sound really terrible. And how does the king respond? The king says, keep the money. And do with the people as you please. He gets the approval of the king. The king puts out this decree and he allows Haman to begin the process of annihilating the Jews. Young and old, women and children included. All the Jews, he wants to wipe them out to get back at Mordecai, right? And we see that Haman becomes one of the greatest enemies of the Jews of all time. And it all seems hopeless for the Jews, right? I mean, the king has ushered a decree. He's given the money, he's given the people. It's all there to happen. The Jews are gonna be wiped out. Problem is for Haman is that the Jews are God's people, right? But all seems hopeless at this moment. But when God is on your side, it is never hopeless. See, the story continues that Mordecai finds out about this plot. And what's really important in our story here is how does Mordecai respond? The scriptures tell us that he responds with prayer and fasting. And then he talks to to Esther about it. Well, Esther knows that if she goes to to the king and asks the king for anything, and she hasn't been summoned by the king, she will be put to death. And so she says this in chapter 4. She says, go, go. Gather all the Jews to be found in Susa, and hold a fast on my behalf. And do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my young women will also fast as you do. Read with me. Then I will go to the king, though it is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. She is willing to die for her people because she knows that this is the right thing to do. She knows that she needs to do something. She has a position of power. She wants to use that position in some way to bless her people, right, and to honor God because she knows that the killing of her people will not honor God. And she knows that to have the power, the presence, and the help of God, it requires that they humble themselves before God and that they pray and they fast, and they ask for God's help. So she comes up with a plan. She puts on the royal robes, and she stands in the inner court in a place where she knows at some point the king will see her. She makes herself look all nice, right, to capture his attention, and sure enough, the king sees her and calls her into his court. Then he asks, What is it, Queen Esther? What is your request? Read with me. Even up to half the kingdom, it will be given to you. We see that Esther's plan doesn't include mobilizing the the Jews and, and storming the castle, right? It's simple. She humbled herself for God, and by God's grace, God gives her the opportunity To help, right? And look at the opportunity she has. Ask anything you wish and it will be given to you. And Esther responds, If I have found favor in the sight of the king and if it please the king to grant my wish and fulfill my request, let the king and Haman come, you notice that, and Haman, right? Just throw that in a little bit. Come to the feast that I will prepare for them and tomorrow I will do as the king has said. And so, it's been set, right? The banquet's to happen the next day. But the king goes, later in the day, he's reading through the book of records, and as he's reading, he comes across, huh? wow, look at Mordecai has done all these really great things. Wow, that's, wow, I didn't even realize he'd done all these things. He hasn't even been honored for them. And he calls in Haman, you know, his trusted noble, right? And he says to Haman, what should the king do for someone who the king delights in? And, of course, Haman thinks, oh, that's only me, right? only it could be me. He says, put the royal robes on this person. Put him on a horse and, and parade him through the city for all to see. And the king says, I like that plan. Haman, go do that for Mordecai. <laughs> Isn't that book of Esther a great book? All these twists, all these turns, right? All these unexpected happenings. And so, now that is supposed to happen. And now Haman is even more angry, right? And Haman builds a device to ultimately kill Mordecai. Well, the next day, they're at the banquet. And again, the king asks Esther, what do you wish for, right? And Esther says, I wish for my foe, my enemy, this wicked Haman. And ha- Actually, I kind of skipped a part, didn't I? Um, he asks what her wish is for, and then... Again, this is where it comes in where where the king didn't know that Esther was a Jew. And she talks about how her people are going to be annihilated. And the king's like, who's your people? And she's like, the Jews are my people. And then he says, who's doing this, right? And then we come to this verse. Esther says, a foe, an enemy, the wicked Haman. Then Haman was terrified before the king and the queen. See how she set Haman up? Haman was terrified, and we are told that the king was so angry at Haman for his treachery, his deceitfulness, how he deceived the king, that he had Haman killed on the very device that he had built to kill Mordecai. Again, another twist and turn in the story. The purpose of this book is to demonstrate God's love and sovereignty in all circumstances, no matter what situation we are going through, no matter what circumstance, no matter what challenge, no matter what hardship we are dealing with, God is there to do great works in and through his people. While Mordecai and Esther could have been depressed, could have been so sad that they had been left in Persia, they realized that if they had not been there at that time, God's people would have been annihilated. But because of their efforts and their faithfulness, God used them to do a great work. So let's finish our time together. I want to make two points from this story that I believe really stand out. The first point is this, that Haman was very prideful. And he used his pride to gain more power, and he used his power for selfish purposes, right? When I was in high school, I, I started lifting weights. When I was in high school, been lifting weights since my junior year in high school. And by about the end of the year of my high school, my junior high school year, I was able to bench press two hundred sixty-five pounds. Now that was a pretty good weight, but even more so because I only weighed one hundred thirty pounds. And so I was the only one in the school that could bench press twice their weight. Of course, I went around bragging about that, right? I mean, I was pretty proud of that fact, right? But understand this that strength did nothing for the kingdom of God. Let me say that again. That strength did nothing for the kingdom of God. When we boast in and about ourselves, our power does not benefit God. In fact, usually when we boast in that way, it has the other effect, doesn't it? Usually when we boast about our own self, our own accomplishments. People look at us as arrogant, right? They don't want to be around us. They don't want to hear all of our bragging, right? It doesn't make them think higher of us. It actually makes them think lower of us. It does not serve a purpose to be prideful, and in being prideful, seek to benefit yourself. We are not in God's favor when we are in that frame of mind. So we see what happens to Haman. He misuses his power. His pride becomes his downfall. He uses position to build himself up and to get back at his adversaries, Mordecai and the Jews. He allowed his power to lead him to greater anger and hatred. and He did not put himself where he would be honored by God or used by God. And in the end, we see that Haman is humiliated and ultimately killed because of his pridefulness. We see his, uh, his plan unraveled because God was not with him. God was against him. See, we have to be careful that we don't seek pride, that we don't seek all these things that come into our life. We don't seek after riches. We don't seek after high positions, per se. I mean, we seek after God's will. That's what we seek after. If God has riches for us, if God has a powerful position for us, then so be it. But we don't seek it for our own purpose. We seek the will of God. And we see where God puts us, where God places us, where God leads us. And then whatever He gives to us, wherever He places us, we use that for His glory and for His honor. Do you see the difference between those two things? Very important that we understand that difference. Our goals should always be to live for God and to serve God and to bear fruit for the Lord. So on the one hand, we have Haman, who is prideful. On the other hand, we have Esther. She is humble and she is caring. And We see how Esther uses her standing not for herself, but for the honor of God, to bless God and to bless God's people. I have a great picture here you see three lionesses and a porcupine. Now if I said, if I started a story out that way, there's a story about three lionesses and a porcupine, you'd think, oh, the porcupine's in trouble. But you look at that picture, you're like, I don't think that porcupine's in trouble. There's something keeping those lions from eating that porcupine, isn't it? There's some kind of protection that God has given that porcupine to keep that porcupine safe right in the midst of the lions, right? See, in the same way, Esther and Mordecai had the protection of God, right? They were in the midst of lions, if you will. While they were weaker in status and position, actually, was, uh, Esther was actually stronger because she had the protection of God upon her. And she had the protection and the power of God working in and through her. You may have heard of the story of a little boy who was playing in the sandbox, and he decided he wanted to build a tunnel from one end of the sandbox to the other, and so he started to dig his tunnel, and he was going down, and he was going down, and then he hit something hard, and he dug some more, and he realized there's a rock, so he dug around, and he tried to pull at the rock, and he couldn't, so he dug some more, and he tried to push the rock, and he, he dug some more, and he put his feet down there, and he tried to, to push the rock with his feet, and he was was getting tired and he was getting frustrated all the while his father was watching what was going on from the kitchen window finally the father comes out <clears throat> to the sandbox and he looks down at his son and says son i saw you struggling why didn't you use all your power available all your strength available to you to move that rock with tears of frustration in his eyes, he looked at his dad and he said, Dad, I did use all my strength. I pushed and I pulled and, and I used my hands and I used my feet. And I did everything I could, Dad. I used all my strength. And the father said, No, you didn't, son, because you didn't ask me for help. See, the story goes like this. We have a God who has great power, who has great strength. We have a God who we need to call upon when we need that strength. And sometimes we think, God, I'm working so hard, and I'm pulling and I'm pushing and, and I'm, I'm getting so tired and I'm getting so frustrated and I can't do it, God. And God says to us, why didn't you use all your strength? He says, I am God, I am using all my strength. And he says, you are not using all the strength available to you because you have not asked me for help. See, the difference with Esther and Mordecai is that their first response was what? To fast and to pray and to call on the Lord for help, to call on the Lord's strength. And isn't that what we see all through the story? We've been going chapter after chapter after chapter where the people try to do it on their own and find themselves in trouble. And then they finally, in exasperation, they call on God and they humble themselves before God and God comes in and takes care of the situation, doesn't it? God takes care of the big rock that they had in front of them in a mighty way, didn't he? They faced annihilation, but God took care of it. You know, a basketball in my hands is worth, what, about 20 bucks? But the basketball in the hands of LeBron James is probably worth, what, 30 million? (laughs) A baseball in my hands is good for maybe having some fun, right? But a baseball in the hands of Clayton Kershaw could produce a perfect game. A paintbrush in my hands could make some splotches on a canvas. Worth nothing. A paintbrush in the hands of Van Gogh produced many masterpieces. See, it depends on whose hands it is in, doesn't it? And Esther and Mordecai put their trust, put their faith in the hands of God. And in the hands of God, they saw that God was at work. And what was so interesting is that God worked through Esther, didn't he? God said, okay, you put it in my hands, and now I'm going to give you the opportunity. I'm going to give you the strength. I'm going to give you the position. I'm going to give you a way to save your people. It's my doing it, but I'm going to allow you to do it and allow you to do it. And he gave that opportunity to Esther, right? Because she called on God, and she sought to live in humility before God, and to honor God. See, God is all-powerful, but in the midst of his being all-powerful, he is also a merciful and a loving God. And he's also a God of great power, who wants to use his power to bless his people, to use his power to do great things in and through his people. Ephesians 1.19 says, I pray, this is the Apostle Paul talking, I pray that you will begin to understand the incredible greatness of his power for us who believe him. Because of what Christ has done on the cross, we have got access to God's help and mercy and power and grace and glory and presence. God wants to bless us in our difficult situations by using his power to take care of them, so that we will give glory and honor back to God, acknowledging that God is the one at work. Read that verse with me. I pray that you will begin to understand the incredible greatness of his power for us who believe him. That you would understand what? The incredible greatness of what? Of God's power for us. Who what? Who believe in Him. Who trust in Him. Who turn to Him. I think sometimes when, God is, when it seems like God is not at work, we think that God is at work. We doubt that God is there. We doubt God's presence. We doubt God's power in our lives. And we say, oh, God is absent right now. He's not at work. That's not true. God is always at work. Right? He's waiting for his time. He's waiting for his place. He's waiting maybe for our acknowledging him. He's, he's may, maybe waiting for us to, to call on him. He's maybe waiting on us to trust in him a little more. He's waiting on us for be at, being, to be at that place where we will give him the glory when he does the work. Mordecai said these words to Esther in 4.14. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. God will probably use someone else to take care of it. But God wants you to do it. But you and your family's family will perish if you do not act. Read with me. And who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this can only imagine what Esther thought when she was whisked off to the palace and she was prepared for a year and then, to her horror, I would imagine, she was accepted as queen. What, me? I have to be queen? She's pretty young, right? Maybe 15 years old. But she humbled herself before the Lord. Who knows that God has put you in this royal position for such a time as this. Isn't that a great phrase? For such a time as this. As you go through your week, I want you to take note of those times when you have challenges, when you have frustrations, when you have fears, when you have hardships come into your life. What is your first response? Is it fear? Is it anger? Is it depression? Is it blaming God? Or is it turning to God and saying, God, I need you. God, I need your help. We need to believe that God is there and that God will work things out. We also need to believe that God has a time for all things, right? I decided right before I came up to share this. Um, A lot of you have been asking about my mother. Uh, Friday, I got a call from my sister in the morning that my my mother had been taken to the hospital. She'd had a, a huge brain aneurysm, bleeding in the brain. She's on blood thinner, so they couldn't stop the bleeding, they couldn't balance it, and she, her, um, her vitals were too low. They couldn't operate on her, that they, they, she would die. Sorry. But my, my sister put the phone up to my mother's ear, and I talked to her over the phone. And my sister said the whole time that I was talking, my mother was responding. And I told my mom, I know you love Jesus, this is your time. Go in peace. You see we have a time when we are born. We have a time when we die, right? It was funny cuz right after that Tammy and I were sitting at the table having lunch and right in front of me was this milk jug and it was almost gone and and Tammy said, you know, you don't finish it we'll just pour it out cuz the expiration date, you know, is the next day. And I thought about that. I said, you know, it may not be written on our forehead, but we all have an expiration date, don't we? We don't know when that day is. I mean, you hear you think it's such a trite phrase when people say, live every day though it's your last, right? My mom was awake, and the next thing you know, she was not. And now she's going to die, right? But that's okay. Because there's life. There's birth. There's life. There's death. And death is a birth into eternal life. Amen? Amen. Death is a birth birth into eternal life. Yeah, am I going to be sad that my mother dies? Yeah, I'm going to be sad. Am I going to miss my mom? Yeah, I'm going to miss my mom. But my mom is a Christian. She's a follower of Jesus. And because of that, I have all hope that she will be with Jesus in heaven. And I have all hope that I will see her again one day. And in that, I can be at peace. A time for everything, right? A time, as Ecclesiastes says, a time for birth and a time for death. God has put you in this place at this time. God will bring people into your life at this time for such a time as this. What does God want you to do in their lives? How does God want to use you in the lives of people around you? God has put us in this community at this time. What does God want us to do? Are we going to humble ourselves? Are we going to kneel down? Are we going to fast and pray and say, God, I want to honor you in whatever you want us to do, we will do for your glory. Amen? Let's pray.